Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number two in this series on the justice of God. And man, have I got a title for you today. I think I'm nicer than God. I know many of you are like, oh, turn this off quick. Lightning's going to strike. Uh, God's going to kill this fool. He's going to probably kill us with him for listening. No, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll explain what I'm talking about. Here, well, I'll just tell you, most people really do believe they are nicer than God. Uh, honestly, you said, no, no, surely nobody can believe this. Well, I got news for you. You have to realize that, that uh, you know, Isaiah said this, you know, a couple thousand years ago. Uh, Paul said this uh, a couple thousand years, or excuse me, Isaiah said it about 3,500 years ago. Paul said it about 2,000 years ago that the whole world blasphemes God because they go in, you know, they're taken into captivity, their lives are ruined, and everything that goes wrong in people's lives, somehow God always gets the blame for it. <coughs> you know, the, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 3, it says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but this is what it really says in the original language. He says, uh, well, this is my version of the original language, is, is, is like, you know, a man messes up his life and then his heart, he blames God. Well, Based on what religion has told us, uh, all the way back to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, up to up to the church when the church was born, has just gotten worse every year, every year, every year, gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. Is is that God is not a good God? God is the source of your problems. And when things go wrong in your life, it is somehow mystically. God doing something that you absolutely can't understand. So number one, you got all the world out there, the people that don't know God at all, that, that hate God, blame God, and just basically say that I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Really, the church has made God appear so bad, so angry, so convoluted, so, uh, uh, so schizophrenic, so crazy in every way that you can imagine. It's like, that, that is nonsense. I don't have anything to do with it. Well, so if there is a God, and if the God that is is the one that the church is representing then the whole world's gonna like um he's not a very nice god and i don't really want anything to do with that and then you flip over here to the church and and, and so you know the church you know, one of the primary corrupt doctrines of the church is that God's angry, God's wrathful, God's out to get the world, all these bad things that happen to you, is God teaching you, God's testing you, all, all that kind of stuff. So, so <clears throat> you know, the Bible puts forth this, this concept that says, you know, if, if, you, if you, being evil, know how to give your gifts good children, how much more will God? And, and you know, he, he talks about how in there, if, 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 you know, your child asks for bread, you're not going to give him stone. If your child asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. But basically, we flip that around and say, well, no, I wouldn't. No, I'm, I'm really a nice guy. I would not give my child a serpent. But you know what? God would. 
because that's what he does. He's all, he's always up to something. He's always trying to test you. He's always messing with you and always trying to teach you something. And you never understand what he wants and you never understand what he's going to do. And so, you know, uh, God would give me a serpent. God would drag me through hardship, but I'd never do that for my kids. So basically, we believe we are nicer than God. We believe we are more fair than God, and in actuality, we believe we are more righteous than God. You say, absolutely not. You are you are a liar. I do not believe you. Well, just hang in here with me, because even if you come to the realization that, oh, man, I do believe in so many areas that I'm nicer than God. I do believe that I'm more righteous than God. I do believe I'm more fair than God. You know, this is, you don't have to run from God because he's not that God that's going to kill you. He's not that God that's going to destroy you. That's when you turn to him and say, God, I need to know who you are. I mean, you know, I'm born again. I gave, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've been trying to follow you as much as I know how. But evidently, I don't really know who you are. And if you reach that conclusion at the end of this at the end of this uh, uh, cyber church I broadcast today, then you know what? You've reached a good conclusion if that's if that's where you are. So just hang in here. Just hang in here with me. You see, the cry of the world today is that uh, is is uh, there's injustice. There is you know uh, everything's unfair. Everything out there is uh, uh, is slanted toward you know toward the rich or toward the white or toward this group or toward that group, and so <clears throat> nothing out there is fair. And so we've got to find we've got to find a way for justice. Now, uh, one of the interesting things, I think I mentioned this last week, I may not have, but you know, one of the primary characteristics that God conveys about himself in the scripture is, is justice. He is just. In other words, he is fair, he is equitable, and, and he always seeks for justice to prevail in, in human interaction. Now, uh, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, I love it. I have always loved this scripture. Deuteronomy 32, 3 says, I proclaim the name of the Lord. Now, remember the word name, and, and, and I talk about this in my, uh, in my free book that you can get this month called uh, The Wisdom of God for a Fair and Just World. The, the, the Hebrew word for name is spelled with two letters, and one of these letters has to do with passion. So God has this passion for his name. But what's interesting is, is, is the letter that is used to convey the idea of, of, of passion can, can mean fire, something that really consumes you, or it can be a picture, uh, some ancients believe it was a picture of teeth, where, 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 where you totally are consumed by something, you are just eaten alive by something. And, and, and so God has a passion an all-consuming passion. So when, when the Bible talks about the name of God, it's talking about something that is an all-consuming passion. You know, why do you think there was such emphasis in the Old Testament on not taking the name of the Lord in vain? Well, you know, unfortunately, the Hebrews in their religious uh, uh, 
problems that they brought out of Egypt with them. And, and, and instead of really discovering what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain, they determined that if you mispronounce it, that, that you know, God would kill you for mispronouncing it. And all, you know, all this negative stuff about God. Now remember, all this negative stuff they believed about God, they didn't get it from God. They didn't get it from Moses. They brought it out of Egypt with them based on the false gods that they worshiped. And that's what we do. We bring all of these ideas. We come to Jesus and we bring all of these things we've ever heard about God. We bring all of these goofy religious ideas that we've ever heard, that we've ever believed. And instead of reading the Bible and seeing what God says about himself, we impose these things onto what we read and we interpret what we read based on what we believe before we got here. And so it's just it is just bizarre if you really if you really want to know the truth. So so whenever you come whenever you come to God, uh, or you know we, we should really just give up any idea of who God is. And the starting place, you know, the, the, the Old Testament number one is incredibly complicated, but uh, but number two is it is very poorly translated. So if you want to understand who God is and never get confused, you go to the Gospels. You don't go to the, read the Apostle Paul. You don't go read the book of Acts. You go to the Gospels because Jesus was the Word made flesh. Jesus perfectly represented God in everything he said, everything he did, everything he preached, every, every way that he treated people. Everything that he did was based on um, his representation of exactly who God was. Now, after all, he's the only person ever seen God. Nobody's ever seen God. Everybody else up until Jesus was just kind of interpreting the scriptures to understand who God was. Jesus was like, no, I and the Father are one. I have seen the God. You know, I have seen God in the beginning. You know, I was with God. I was God. Uh, you know, it's just something that is just beyond comprehension. So, so you, you read, uh, you read uh, Jesus' life, Jesus' story, Jesus' sermons, Jesus' miracles, and you say, okay, he showed me who God is. I can't believe anything about God that the conflicts with what Jesus showed me because Jesus showed me God. He revealed the name of the Lord to me. And so, so what happened is instead of the Hebrews taking the names of God and saying, okay, this is how I understand who God is, uh, they, got, they, de they developed uh, theological doctrinal positions that completely conflicted with, de opposed, denied, uh, the meaning of God's names. In other words, you know, you heard me say this before. Uh, if God's name was Jehovah who heals, then how can you have a doctrine that says Jehovah is the one that makes you sick to teach you things? If you believe that Jehovah's name is Je is the Lord, the Lord our peace, then then how can you come up with theological ideas that say, well, God's the one that drags through hardship and trouble and testing and trials to you know to try to teach you things? I mean, we, almost every modern theological position actually denies and contradicts the name of the Lord. Therefore, we are taking the name of the Lord vainly. We, we, are, we are just, uh, uh, we are extrapolating, twisting, uh, covering up who God is with our own opinions. It's just, it, it is absolutely bizarre. So God has a passion for his name and, and he wants you and me to be consumed by his name, to be consumed what those names mean so that we have no concept of God. We have no belief about God that is different than his names. And so then the second letter in there is a letter that, that says, it, it describes a message. Now, uh, there are many concepts about this, but, but basically he is saying, I want you to be consumed. I want you to be 
passionate about the message that is being conveyed through my names. God was passionate about it. God en encoded messages about his identity into his name. And you know something, we should be just as passionate. So, so man, I, I love anything gets in, that talks about the name of the Lord. So in Deuteronomy 32, three, it says, I proclaim the name of the Lord. And he says, I love this. He says, he is our rock. His work is perfect. In other words, there is not anything about God's work that is imperfect. There's not anything about God's work that needs fixing up and he's adding to. Nothing about that. God has, God's not a man that he should repent. He, you know, uh, God did it right the first time. He says his work is perfect. But now listen to this. He says all his ways are justice. Now here you, you got the world out of people, the whole world, not just America. This isn't just happening in America. The whole world is being uh, 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 or is in some form of tribulation and trouble and conflict and rioting and murder and all of this because people are screaming out that they, they, they need justice. Now, I, I promise you this, by the way, let me just mention this again. Uh, be sure to click below or go to my, go to my website because just for uh, a few weeks, this book is going to be for free. We want to get it in the hands of a million people. It's called The Wisdom of God for a Fair and Just World. I'm telling you what, this whole book, including this series that we're talking about, is a, is a call out to the church to say, wake up and stand up. We can stop this. Nobody else can stop this. The government can't stop this. Presidents can't stop this. Kings can't stop this. Armies can't stop this. But the church of the living God can stop what's going on in the world. We can change the tide. We can turn the world around. But we can't do it if we keep doing what we've always been doing. And so I'm just telling you, I th this book is going to enrich your life in so many ways. And it is my gift to you. But I am going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, when you get this book, read it immediately, share it through every social media outlet you have, share it with everybody on your mailing list, uh, uh, because we want at least a million people to read this and share this and share this and share this. We'd like to get in the hands of 10 or 20 million people because uh, I'm telling you what, this is God's recipe for how to have a fair and just world, how we the body of Christ can stand up, turn out, and it is free. It is a gift for me. And starting next week, I will actually have an audio series that we'll be offering on the justice of God. So he says, he says, he is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is free. Now, here's the thing that I want to ask. Number one, you know, uh, uh, let me just say this. Uh, today, the church kind of has inaccurately presented the idea that our founding fathers were all Christians. Well, I, I wish they were. A lot of some of them were, but the, but that's not really really true. Now that kind of misconception has led us to believe, by the way, that if we could just vote politicians into office that say that they're Christians, everything will be great. Well, how's that working out? Because, man, I mean, I mean, my whole adult life, I've watched the church get suckered into voting people into office because those people said they were Christians. And you get in there and you find out, well, wait a minute, uh, I, I haven't, this is not, these are not laws that a Christian would pass. This is not, this is not based on the word of God. And, uh, you know, I talk about this in my book, you know, look, here, here's the deal. Uh, when somebody says they're a Christian, that means nothing to me. 
You say, well, boy, you're critical. No, I'm not critical. I'm just saying God doesn't call us Christians. The world at Antioch, the, the, the lost world, started calling believers Christians. Now, And it wasn't a compliment. It was kind of a smart aleck slide, if you will. And so the real truth is uh, Christian doesn't mean anything. You know, Christian, you know, one person says, I'm a Christian. Well, what that means is they go to church on Eastern Christmas. You know, another person says they're Christian. Well, what that means is their, their family, uh, you know, grew up in the church. And when they were a kid, they went to church a couple of times. Uh, another person says they're Christian. All that really means is, well, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a, a Jew. So that, I guess that makes me a Christian. I've even had people believe and tell me they were Christian just because they were born in America. Now, so the word Christian means nothing from a biblical basis because God uses terms to describe us like sons and daughters and you know children uh, and heirs and overcomers. All of the names that God uses to describe what we call a Christian um, uh, are reflected in the way they live, the way they relate to God, the way they treat people, the way they, the way they manage their life, but primarily how they relate to Jesus as Lord and whether or not they relate to the Word of God as the absolute truth. So you say, well, what's it got to do with our founders? Well, see, most of our founders were deists. And deists were not, they didn't really believe in getting born again. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe God ever actually intervened in the lives of men. Uh, they just kind of believed God created the world, wound up like a clock, and said, toss it aside, and one day the clock's going to run down. It's going to be over. But uh, uh, here's the interesting thing. Even though they were deists, some of them were like Ben Franklin. I mean, incredible had a reputation for being incredibly immoral. Uh, the reality of it is, though, they did believe that the values presented in the Word of God were the were had to be the core values for a nation that could actually. Uh, uh, uphold our Constitution and and keep our Republic free. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, some some of the founders of the Constitution, you know, upright said that you know if our nation ever departs from the morals and ethics of the Word of God, that the that the Republic will be lost. My point is this: it's not about whether or not the person that you vote for is a Christian or not. It's about whether or not they embrace, support, and value the ethics, the morals, the standards, and the values of the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian if you pass laws that contradict God's Word. Uh, and so, and so we, we, my whole adult life, my whole adult voting life, you know, we've had on every level presidents and and uh, uh, you know uh, Congress people that call themselves Christians, and then they get in and they vote on things that actually contradict the Word of God, violate the Word of God, deny the Word of God, and the bizarre thing is they always it always creates chaos. It always causes problems, and uh, and so you know we we should never go to vote under the idea that we're, that we're voting for a person. It don't matter what the person is because what matters is how do they vote? You know, how do they legislate? How, what, where do they get their values? Where, where do they get their principles? Uh, uh, doesn't matter what party they are. Uh, matter of fact, God, God really warns us against 
having a party spirit. Uh, and it doesn't matter a party spirit, like a denominational attitude where I'm, I'm a Baptist. You know, no, you're not. You're either a believer or you're, or you're something. I don't know what you are. But uh, in relationship to God, you're either a believer, you're a disciple, you're a servant. You know, you're a lot of things. But uh, being a Christian, mm, that, doesn't, that, 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 doesn't really, that doesn't really mean anything. So if our nation and our Constitution was founded on biblical morals, values, and ethics, then the question that you have to ask is this. Number one, why are, not, why, why are our politicians not staying true to our Constitution? You know, that is the oath that they swear when they go into office is they will uphold and protect the Constitution. And let me just say this, just in case you don't know this, because the Constitution was not written to define government's rights as much as it was written to limit government's rights. It was written to protect us from the overreaching tyranny of, of professional politicians who get into office and use the office to benefit themselves, to get rich, to, you know, and, and to, to power grab and to work their own personal agendas. And I'm telling you what, the, the day of finding politicians that actually have a servant's mentality is far and few between. Now, I, there are some, and I am thankful for them. I got news for you. There are not many. And they are supposed to be there to uphold the Constitution. And within the bounds of the Constitution, they are supposed to serve us and benefit us. But they've also got to protect the Constitution, which means there should never be a law introduced by the House, by the Senate, or by the President that contradicts the Constitution. Actually, that, sh that is a basis for impeachment because it means that they have violated their sworn oath. But, I, you know, i got news for you. Bills go to the floor every single day that uh, contradict the Constitution. There are even bills that go to the floor, you know, in an attempt to get rid of the Constitution. And yet we just go on like it's everyday business. But even more than that, if the Constitution is based on, remember, uh, you know, when we have our Declaration of Independence, our Declaration of Independence says, and it is the mother of the Constitution, and the mother of the Constitution says the whole purpose of this Constitution is to preserve the rights that God and God alone can give to an individual, and that the government, can number one, cannot give those rights, which means the government cannot take those rights away. So my question is this, in a day when people are crying out that there's injustice, 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 why in the world do people, you know, leaders, uh, uh, Congress people, why don't they go First to the Constitution, because that's the legal basis, and then to the Bible, the, the very basis upon which our freedoms were granted, were based on the Word of God. Why don't they go there to find out? Well, I'll tell you, when they don't go there, they're either, they're either ignorant of the Bible, and you know, if they're even born again, which they might be, they're not, certainly not disciples, because disciples build their lives on the uh, on the word of God, the application of the word of God, but the most important thing here, from a political point of view, and from what our nation and the world is facing right now, is the word of God is our basis for justice. Now, uh, everybody says they want justice. Everybody, every group, ever you know, everybody that's out there burning buildings down, killing other people, stealing, robbing from people, they're they're, they're seeking justice. Well. Uh, okay, that's fine, but the problem is, uh, how do you define justice? Where do you get your definition 
of justice. You know, one of the interesting things in the Word of God, you can't separate justice from righteousness. Now, again, righteousness is one of those things religion has messed up, you know, just made it sound like a, 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 a legalistic fiasco of trying to please God, earn God. No, righteousness is a gift. Walking in righteousness is when the Word of God is what is what guides our path, is what defines. You know, the word law can mean signpost, which just tells me where I am in life. You know, if, if I look out here at my behavior, my behavior says, uh, well, let me see here. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing other people's property. Well, wait a minute. The signpost says, thou shalt not steal. And now, not stealing doesn't make me righteous. What makes me righteous is the righteousness of God I allow into my heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. But whether or not I'm yielding to righteousness is going to be determined by whether or not I'm, I'm following the signpost. This, this uh, thou shalt not steal. So the Word of God tells us that, uh, you know, what it looks like when we yield to righteousness. It doesn't make us righteous. We don't earn righteous. It doesn't change our nature. But I tell you, it does change the way we treat people. It does change. Uh, it, it, just, it really manifests a, a character and a nature of God. So true justice is always going to be based on the Scripture. Now, I'll tell you one of the things you're going you're gonna to discover in this series. And I mean, it's going to be a surprise to most people because most people think that they're more righteous than God. Most people think that they're more fair than God. Most people think they're more merciful than God. You say, no, 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 that's not true. You know what? Uh, oh, in the book of Job, you know, the book of Job probably is the most misquoted book of the, uh, of the entire Bible. Now, it's not misquoted because people quote the scriptures wrong. It's misquoted because people take the scriptures out of context. So, in the book of Job, you have, I think it's something like 38 chapters or where Job and his friends are arguing and about Job's righteousness and Job's kind of blaming God. Now, now keep in mind, Job was a righteous man, but you, know, you can be righteous and have problems. And, and, and Job was trying to figure out why his world was a mess and he just kept saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I don't know why God's doing this. I don't know why God's doing this. And his friend said, well, God's obviously doing this. You just need to curse God and go ahead and let him kill you because, because man, you are messed up. You're, you're in trouble. And so, and so all of these people, just, they run their mouths. And what's amazing, you go, you go to anywhere where anybody's quoting a scripture out of the book of Job, they never quote what God says. They quote the foolishness that Job and his friends were running their mouths about. So in Job, in Job chapter 40, when God starts talking, and my, you know, my, my thing is, if you're going to, if you're going to quote some book of the Bible, uh, and God is, God is correcting somebody, quote what God says, don't quote the nonsense that the other person needed to have corrected. So in Job verse 40, verse 8, God asks, well, I think it's one of the most critical questions. He says, will you indeed annul my judgment and would you condemn me that you might be justified or that you might appear to be the righteous one? Now, listen to me. The, the reason we don't go back and look at the commandments and use them to establish fairness, justice, is because we have... Uh, we, we don't apply them. We don't interpret them. We don't use them the way that Jesus used them. And we have been taught. I, I have even said these words as a young preacher that the Old Testament was based on fear. No, 
It was not. The Old Testament was based on faith, and faith works by love. And from the very moment that God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, he began to try to teach them who he was, that he was a God of love, and they should never, never, never uh, uh, take their ideas that they got from paganism and apply them to God, which is what we do. So God's, so God's saying, listen, all right, so what you want to do, you want to stand in defiance to my judgment, which is linked to justice, and you want to condemn me. And the proof that you want to condemn me is you look for a, a definition, a concept of justice that absolutely uh, defies, rejects the word of God. So why do we have, why do we have all of these laws that never deal with criminal activity? Why are criminals walking the streets after they committed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of crimes and nothing ever happened? So, well, you're gonna find out. If you'll join me next week, I'm gonna plug into this and you're gonna change everything you believe about God. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.